Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. All right, and welcome back to Micromobility. How are we doing today, Horace? Uh, doing well. Uh, this this is excellent. Yeah, I'm, I'm back home actually in, in Finland, so this is a uh, <laughs> <laughs> a rare a rare happening. <laughs> rare indeed, and and uh, very welcome. I I I got to speak at the um, at the event in, uh, in in California, which was the um, uh, what was called a uh, you know a networking event a um, by by Honda's. Uh, uh, accelerator group, which uh, is Honda, in, incidentally sponsoring our um, uh, our micromobility conference in California. Super excited about that. Um, we still are continuing to get people signing up, um, which which is good. Absolutely, and uh, be sure to use your code, Oliver and Horace. Um, do 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 sign up for that. Um, that's happening in January thirty first. Uh, we're putting together our program. It's going to be spectacular. We've announced two people so far, um, which include Alex Roy, uh, by the way, um, and uh, one of oh, the no guests. Way. Oh, that'd yeah, be hilarious. Alex, Alex will be there uh, talking about universal, uh, universal basic mobility. Uh, we also have Corrine. She's announced as a speaker as well, Corrine Vogel, who was, of course, a guest on the show. And... Uh, Absolutely. She's a superstar of operations, um, of e-bike operations, and um, Corey Weinberg uh, will be from the information. Uh, well, he will be also uh, as a moderator on a panel, which we will discuss later as well. Uh, he uh, he has been covering micromobility for the information for some time now, and um, uh, so he's putting together a great panel of uh, rather. Uh, well, you know, important people. So I'll leave it at that. Um, the uh, the other thing um, about, about the event, uh, it looks like we will be going by ferry, which is um, uh, the ferry from San Francisco Ferry Terminal to Richmond, which is where the venue is, will be operational according to the authorities in San Francisco, will be operational January 10th. So we should be well within the window of, uh, uh, of scheduled operations uh, for that ferry. And that means we probably will gather downtown uh, San Francisco right at the fer- ferry terminal, which is um, at the end of uh, Market Street uh, slash the Embarcadero area. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I don't know if we'll all fit in the ferry. Oh, hopefully most of us uh, um, if not, there's options to go by subway. Uh, there's a BART train that actually you can hop onto uh, from the center of town as well, and it'll take you uh, all the way almost to probably within a mile, and you can you can uh, uh, find a way there. We, we might stage some vehicles for people taking the uh, taking the the subway, and and so you can make the last mile literally um, on on a scooter. Or, or, or bike. So we'll see about that. Uh, but ideally, we, we should all fit on the ferry, and um, 
if you do want to drive or you're coming from points afar, um, there will be plenty of parking as well. So it's, uh, we're not being exclusionary here at all. But uh, preferred mode will be, <laughs> uh, you know, preferred mode would be using uh, transit. And uh, there are bike trails even that get you all the way there if you if you are inclined to cycle. Um, there are bike trails from Oakland, uh, Berkeley, points uh, north and south. So, so it, it's literally to the front door. You can cycle. So, uh, so it's a it's a it's a great place to uh, to congregate. So, thanks again to those who signed up. Please uh, do so. It's at um, the URL is micromobility.io. So, micromobility one word dot io. Go there and and, uh, and click on register, and you're all set. So uh, that, that's our pitch. Uh, we have um, a topic for today. You 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 uh, you wanted to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So in the uh, in the first uh, introduction of, of micro mobility, on uh, as we were discussing what we were going to get to, uh, you had talked through a concept uh, where you we where you started with uh, productization servitization, securitization, and then tokenization. So I thought maybe what we could do is have you unpack that uh, a little bit for us, and uh, I'll probe and uh, ask questions as you go along. Okay, sure. Um, if, you look at, if you look at the history of transportation, actually, if we go really b- far back, you know, it, it was, um, there wasn't really an option for you to higher transportation you you know if you need to go someplace you walked um eventually we we had the creation of uh you know and, and this is not it wasn't generally available to people but the idea of paying for a for a trip and then paying for a trip uh was possible maybe in some cities with uh with a, a horse-drawn carriage um that's where the we got the word cab uh, and and the cabin that that was the thing you you were ferried in um, you had oh really yeah <laughs> so a cab is is uh, it predates the, the word taxi I think um, or hackney carriage that was another word from uh, from the pre automobile times and um, uh, so if you look at old films there were city. As conveyances, private conveyances, but but the um, the idea is that ninety nine percent of people didn't hire a vehicle to travel; they walked. Um, the train came much later, eighteen twenties, uh, you know, very early on, and middle of the twentieth century. Uh, sorry, middle of the nineteenth century, it sort of became more mass market, and I think it saturated most markets by the late nineteenth century and. And so we had the ability. Of course, you could buy passage across seas, but most land transport was was not something you you could even pay for. You you just didn't have that option at all. It wasn't that uh, you had alternatives. You just didn't get around that much because if you couldn't walk, you couldn't go. Um, and 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 so the train came, and the train is a service. We didn't get the idea of a personal transportation vehicle, right? The personal transportation vehicle was the shoe. You know, it, it was... It was it, <laughs> if, if that. Yeah, yeah, your feet your feet were your mode of locomotion. And the train was an alternative for long distances. 
uh, which replaced uh, long-distance coaches, which were, again, uh, horse-drawn, but very, very rarely used. Uh, uh, it, it was something for the super wealthy. It was like uh, flying on a Concorde is today, it's or was until it discontinued, but it was something extremely rare that you, didn't, you wouldn't uh, uh, do. If, if you needed to go between villages, you walked, and that's as far as most people got. So, um, I, you know, the idea of a bicycle was the thing that, in, you know, enabled mass private transport. You know, public transport, maybe through trains in the cities, maybe through, uh, again, train railroads or, or city railroads were, were um, still... You know, steam-powered, maybe switching to electric uh, in the 1880s, but uh, the you know most people uh, took trains long distance. So the the thing that you have to appreciate is how revolutionary the idea of a personal vehicle was—a personal vehicle, something that you owned and you you traveled with, and and it was suitable for uh, for uh, short and medium distance. And this is the this is the bicycle. It was revolutionary. It was absolutely as important as a hoverboard would be today. You know, if you if you could do such a thing and just, uh, uh, or maybe not even the hoverboard, but a uh, you know the, the electric kick scooters that we have. So now the the thing that that the bicycle evolved into was the automobile, and the automobile extended the range, extended the uh, capacity to carry freight and or traffic and. Uh, you know, carry people, and and so the car, the car became the product that embodied transportation, and this is where now we think, okay, the car is is my transportation mode, but at the time, the idea of a product in its own right versus a service, because you you could own your own means of transport, was, that was the revolution, and again throughout the twentieth century. It came to mean freedom, uh, wealth, power. All, all these three things are what the car represented. So every family wanted to uh, possess it and possess more than one. And if you were an economy that was emergent or uh, or or was was trying to to join the club of industrial nations, you had to have an automobile industry. You had to have an autom uh, a motorized population. Uh, so it's interesting when you follow the history of the automobile, how various countries' automobile cultures developed. So you have the, you know, the Germany was fairly late. The United States was one was the first. Uh, the UK um, and France were embryonic as the U.S. took off, but it was essentially, they, they came first, but uh, they didn't have mass production, but they developed automobile cultures, as did Italy after the war, as did, um, uh, in fact, Germany, as I said, was late. It was, it was about the same time as Italy that it motorized its own population. Uh, so this was for mass consumption of automobiles versus, you know, mm -hmm. a few wealthy luxury products. Uh, so the, the, the thing that that's uh, that, that's striking is this packaging of transportation in a car and the car embodying all of these notions of power uh, and 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 influence and prestige and freedom and uh, um, and, and and you know liberty that this this you know the, the Soviet Union for example felt the need by the 1960s and 70s to 
get on the bandwagon with automobiles. Um, and, yeah. and, and they did so by, by licensing, essentially manufacturing technology from, from the West. Uh, so the development of the Lada brand, which was uh, basically a Fiat, um, uh, that happened in the Soviet Union. Uh, other parts of uh, Eastern Europe uh, went with uh, other European brands like Renault, and this is Romania. Um, mm. Fiat also happened to make a, uh, a sale to Yugoslavia, uh, so that became the Yugo brand there, um, also to Poland. And um, we had European, French, and, and Italian, uh, essentially, licenses to to behind the Iron Curtain to essentially mobilize those populations. East Germany went its own way, developing the Trabant um, and, uh, and a few others, Wartburg and others. But ba basically, uh, that was more indigenous uh, in, in Germany. And, um, and, and that happened again because people felt that this was the way forward. Now, the, the, mm. you know, this little lesson is that... There's a, yeah. I was just going to jump in as well. There's the great series from James May, which is called... What is it called? James May and Cars or the History yeah, of Cars. Car, cars of the People. Oh, the People's... Cars of the People, which is uh, phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, well Cars of the People is... Interested. It's two seasons, only, I believe, uh, is it three episodes or, or three or four episodes per season. So very much worth getting. Uh, I, I like the way it was, pre it was presented, even though... I knew the story mostly, and it, it just presented this this kind of how people's cars came to be. It's not just Volkswagen, but but Lada and, and the K car in Japan, and and uh, the Renault and uh, the Fiats and all these other little tiny cars. But you know, eventually uh, the world get you know got got motorized, and 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 so we ended up with the notion that transportation is a product. And the product is the car. And so if everybody has a car, the population is mobilized, it's, it's motorized, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's considered empowered, right? It's, it's very much, you know, the, the thesis of transportation of the 20th century is power to the people, power in, a, in, in the form of a, of, of a motor uh, in a box in, in your driveway or, or at least on the street where you live and you can hop into it any time. And the more you know, and, and so you see motorization rates being tracked, and and just to give you a few samples now, the the, U, the U.S. is in and Australia are 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 the highest motorization rates in the world. We ended up with um, motorization as the you know as a way of of measuring a country's uh, mobility, it's, uh, the country's power, uh, the country's uh, dynamism. And, and so Australia and the United States are the highest, if you were to sample a few motorization rates. And, you know, Australia and the U.S. are around 800, meaning 800 cars per thousand, or 80%, you could think of it, 80% of the people um, uh, or the individuals in a country have a car assigned to them, uh, which is, of course, outrageously high because you, you can share a car if you're a family, but the U.S., again, is at, at, at 80 um, Europe is, is fairly high, around 50, and that this is, you know, again, a one car for every two people, uh, of, of, you know, and this includes, of course, the very old and the very young, so, so it's, it's, uh, uh, it's plenty to have. I would say saturation should be around 50% for a normal, uh, sort of normal population, because, you, you know, you don't need more than uh, one car per two residents, but uh, so, so Europe is very high. 
but then you look at around the world and it's it's it drops dramatically and um uh, and sort of latin america and 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 uh, you know asia japan by the way is also sort of i think in the 40% range, range uh, maybe 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 a bit off there i don't know exactly um uh, but it's pretty high obviously there's a lot of cars in japan china is going up that ramp very quickly and and uh, you know it's 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 a huge country in terms of population so for for japan to get to the us level of cars uh there would have to be over 800 million cars i mean the whole global car fleet is 1 billion or 1.2 billion i think if you include light trucks and so 1.2 billion vehicles uh for the for for the 7 billion people in the world and so if china were to get to us us levels again it would it would be almost uh 80% of the world's cars uh, would be in china which is just a bit hard to imagine um and that now india is almost at zero it's like less than the 5% i think um and you have of course africa which is a billion people um and and that that is also very low so but the point is that this was the measurement this was a measurement how many cars per capita how how many cars uh does your country uh first have and second make which was uh, industrially very important you know having an auto industry also put you in the top 5 ranking it is about five nations that have an indigenous car producing uh uh, uh industry that doesn't uh actually just have uh, uh exported plants so so th- this is a way to think about it there's japan usa china uh, germany um uh, uk um and you also have I- italy and france pretty major as well uh and you have india as well as a as a as a maker so that's that's about eight countries but a lot of those like china and india men, many of the units produced in those countries are are joint ventures or plants that have been uh exported to those countries so that they are not as indigenous essentially uh, although they're coming to be so but uh and, and i forgot korea korea so that would be nine and uh you know there are, there are some other players in in europe so so you could say 10 but again a lot of this has been consolidating so you have groups of companies like Nissan together with uh uh, uh sorry who's this Renault with? and Mitsu- uh, yes, and yes. now they've just made and now they've just made that partnership with Mitsubishi as well I yes think. Renault Nissan group now is is among the top 3 if not the number 1 automaker and i think their position is sort of moving up and down between 1 and 3 um uh, you have Toyota group you have GM group and these groups the Volkswagen group right and VW Toyota and Nissan um um uh, Mitsubishi uh Renault Alliance uh that, that these are giant giant groups of uh, of of brands you know Volkswagen has a dozen brands under its name so it, it, you have a, a very it's a very confusing picture as far as uh wh- where is the home of of uh, of the car industry in the in its in its it, it's it's a it's it's a industrial uh conglomerate essentially that we have built and and that has tentacles all over the world in terms of having uh presence with a brand and presence with production in various countries so latin america does make cars but these are usually you, you know you have a volkswagen plant or you have a toyota plant which has been uh located there so um it's it's part of the supply chain um 
the labor might be local, but the parts are coming from everywhere, and the output might go everywhere. Uh, mostly it stays local, but, but a lot of times also it gets exported back out. So there's a lot of this going on globally. Um, now, the reason I'm saying all this and, and sort of diving deep into cars is that we, we came, you know, there's a big been a century-long process of identifying transportation with the with the automobile and identifying the light vehicle as the bundle of trips that people take. And, and I, I'm trying to point out that it needn't be so. Um, the, the, this idea is a construct of the 20th century. Uh, it's a construct of uh, geopolitics, it's a construct of <clears throat> the industrial and the industrial heritage of, of the world um, and it, it, yeah. it packaged transportation as a certain way and that's, that, that worked at the time but it doesn't mean it has to work forever that way uh, and we are uh, burdened now with a lot of the side effects of that, um, not to mention traffic and inefficiencies that came along with that, uh, and, and road design and city designs, which are not optimal, frankly. I mean, you know, they've worked at a, at a time. I'm not saying they're evil, but they, they are, like all good things, they must, must be replaced by better things. And, and that's, that's, uh, that's the question for the 21st century is how do we, what do we replace them with? What is better than, than the car? And, and so this is why I, you know, I, I thought of packaging uh, transportation into both what is sold, which is the object versus the service, but also what is being, um, what is the business model for it? So, so let's take this for example. So the evolution is that we, we go from walking, which is nothing as far as a business is concerned. It's, it's simply going into play, to a place where you can go um, to uh, enablement via an object, which is the product. And that's, that's what I call productization uh, of transportation. So, so here's a product. We call it a car. It's a bundle of trips, and you prepay for it. And you may finance it, but essentially you have to buy it. You have to buy a title to it. You buy a title in the form of a, of a, a piece of paper that says you have property, and this property permits you to travel. This is very important, though. You know, legally, uh, financially, uh, business model-wise, uh, you know, there's a, there's a construct, a logical construct here that transportation is an object. And, yeah, and so, uh, you know, in many ways, the, the absence of an object, the absence of a license, the absence of a title, the absence of access to credit to any of those things, uh, uh, it, it inhibits your freedom. So if, if, you, if, if, God forbid, you're in the United States in a, uh, essentially in a, 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 a suburb community, uh, as we talked with Quan, by the way, about this, uh, it, it, you feel disabled. You feel like you're you're disadvantaged if you don't have uh, not just a car, but if you don't have access to credit. So many people actually are offering access to credit in order for you to purchase or at least finance a vehicle to allow you to get a job to pay for anything yeah. at all. So so this is this is the way what we ended up with. Now, so that object embodies. Now the next stage. In, in this evolution, which we've already we've, we've witnessed, is, is, well, why not pay for access to the trip itself? And this is what we call servitization. And it's a, it's a terrible word because it doesn't 
it doesn't sound very nice, but it's servitization is the notion that a product turns into a service. Uh, it's being repositioned as a, uh, a, a, as a as a thing you buy in in, in tiny portions, uh, and that's that's what ride sharing enabled. Uh, it, it's a it's a bit of a hybrid. Someone still owns the car. It's actually a private individual who owns it. It's not a, a commercial entity, but that individual now is offering rides, and the buyer is increasingly offered a subscription yep. model to transportation. And uh, so it's a subtle thing. It's 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 interesting. You, you, if you if you look at it through a job to be done lens, um, nothing's changed. You hire the car by owning it, or you hire the car by having someone else own it. But you're essentially getting trips. In one case, you prepay, and the other case, you pay as you go. That's been the the transition. Is that it's it's more or less uh, the way you pay for things that's changed. But people are, are, are there, there's some optionality issue, you know, can you hop in any time? Um, is it available to you uh, everywhere and so on? And the, so the, those are subtle differences in, in the way the service is provided. Now, having said that, so, so we're moving from product, potentially moving from product to service. And this is what we call servitization of transportation. And uh, in many ways, it's a Going back to the old days, you know, you, that you could have a carriage to take you places, although not exactly the same, again, because the availability is much higher. And many times people who have cars will also take a, take option uh, on a service. And, and that's the, uh, the idea that maybe when you travel or in a different location, you might use Uber, but yet you have a car at home. I think sure. over time this might might change substantially so although the, you always maintain a car at home it's just not something that you'll use as often because it'll it'll stay at home so um so that's the next stage i mean you could say the progression of transportation uh moving this way and the way you measure by the way is by counting miles as usual how many miles are driven versus how many miles are ridden driving riding driving riding this is a big distinction to me um, you know, you're driving, and in one case, you're you're a passenger, uh, so you're driver versus passenger. And that sort of distinction. So, how many uh, trips are, are are if we're moving more and more towards passenger miles versus uh, uh, driver miles, and and that's how we can tr- sort of keep track of how how free how fast this is going. And to this point, I'll say this: um, the number of trips that uh, Uber has enabled since inception, I think, has crossed over 10 billion. Um, the um, lift is somewhere behind, uh, but it's it's not an order of magnitude behind. Uh, it's in the billions as well, and um, and and that's in contrast to. Um, the number of miles. Now, we need to multiply the, these these trips by, an, let's say, a, an average distance. So, so let's be generous and say Uber's ten miles per trip. Uh, that that would, or maybe ten kilometers would be more more appropriate. But let's say uh, we're looking at a uh, uh, hundred billion kilometers delivered. Okay, so this is this is how many passenger kilometers have been delivered by Uber. A hundred billion, and, and but if you look at the overall demand for for uh, light vehicle passenger miles, the total is something like fourteen trillion. 
So 14 trillion, and that's in miles. Uh, is the, and that's in per year, right? Per as year, well, per versus year. Yeah. like maybe 10, 10, 10 billion, oh, sorry, 100 billion miles in aggregate over the seven, nine years that Uber's yeah, been operating. Seven or nine, seven years yeah. that Uber's been operating, yeah. Exactly. So, of course, their, 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 their rate of delivery is not as high as 10 per year, 10 billion per or, or uh, sorry, again, we're, we're, we should be measuring kilometers, let's say 100 billion. Maybe it's, it's uh, somewhere less than half of that because it is growing. But, uh, but uh, anyway, the point is that we're, ha- we're off by several zeros. Actually, we're off by, yep. um, you know, at least... Uh, A huge number of zeros. <laughs> <laughs> we're off, yeah. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's uh, it, 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 yes, the penetration of the servitization model versus the product model um, is less than 0.1%. Let's, let's throw that out there. It's very small. And so there's a still a strong, uh, you know, a strong S-curve potential there uh, to, to, to substitute uh, miles from the one first model, the, the product model, to the service model. Now, why am I saying this is that what, what micromobility does is it accelerates the substitution rate, and it's sort of the, in one year, micromobility uh, um, e-scooters have delivered 20 million uh, trips, and and it took three years for car sharing to get to the same level. So first of all, micromobility is very similar to the car sharing model, at least from the user's point of view. They're they're hiring miles; they're not hiring. Uh, an object that's purchased through a deed and uh, or title and so it's it's this this it's essentially classified to me as a service so so we're seeing an acceleration of that model through micromobility um and uh, all of that presumably eats into the pool of product miles that we we have and and so that's a, that's a, you know possibly a trend going forward. The next thing, though, the next thing, which is why we 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 stop and think and we ask: Is there something beyond this? Is are we just going to flip miles from product to service, or are we going to flip miles even further? And I think the, the the interesting thing, and again, these are all very subtle shifts in many ways. So, you know, they're big when you step back and you look at them over a long period of time, but. It, it, they seem to be very minor in, in, in the day-to-day. But the next big thing to me, which I call securitization, is the idea that, look, the service model, even for Uber, is, is, is a, a bit convoluted. It's, it's suboptimal. It doesn't seem efficient, where the, the, the driver owns the vehicle, and then they give up their time. They also have to pay for maintenance, insurance, fuel, depreciation, a lot of the buyers of the cars that are re- being used in car sharing are kind of not aware of the economics. Uh, and certainly, they're not able to fully optimize the capital employed, right? In many ways, they're saying, okay, this is something I'm doing on the side. I have a car. I use it for mostly myself, but I might share it with others. Sure. Uh, and I'm not quite sure if I'm actually breaking even on that time, given, you know, maybe they just don't even think about the car's uh, cost structure, and they think of only on their time, and they say, "Well, am I getting better than minimum wage doing this job of being a, uh, uh, an, uh, you know, car share driver?" Uh, and yet, and yet, there's a lot of costs in a the vehicle. There's, in fact, vehicles are extremely expensive on a per mile basis. They're at least fifty cents a mile, and and so none, that doesn't necessarily 
come out of the calculation. And, and Uber doesn't have to account for that because the vehicle is not on their books, so they're not seeing the depreciation and so on. And, and one, of the, one of the mantras of, of the sharing economy is that it's an asset light business. You don't have to own anything as the, as the sharing company provider, um, and, and yet someone does own it. And this is why you ask the question, well, is this sustainable at some point, this dissatisfaction of not really having a lot of money in your pocket at the end of the day because you, maybe you have all these costs you're not aware of? So my point was that, uh, you know, the, 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 the sharing model, which, by the way, the scooter guys do not have to uh, sort of wave their hands over it. They actually do keep the asset on their books. It is not an asset light model. It's an asset heavy model. And that means that they do think about the fleet value and the depreciation and the quality. And they have to think about developing in the hardware that's a bit more uh, robust over time and so on and so my 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 thesis is this and just in a nutshell is that servitization moves into into a mm-hmm. um, what I call a securitization phase where where the the fleet itself the vehicles the hardware whether it's cars or scooters um, goes more towards the public vehicle model, which is the buses and the trains, where if you think about those assets, those assets are um, uh, owned by a municipality or a transit authority or a, a government, and they finance them th- typically through sale of bonds. They sell, they sell debt. Um, they, they, you know, they borrow money, and they, they promise to pay it back because that asset will pay pay them back. And the idea is not to tie up capital necessarily, um, you know, as cash in, in the asset, but sort of manage it through the financial markets. You manage it through, um, um, through the reallocation of excess capital, which makes a lot of sense because there's a lot of capital out there that's looking for a return. So why not say, okay, this fleet of scooters um, is paying back a certain rate um, it, it you know it needs service and repair, repair and replacement, but we know how those numbers work, and, and we, we we can get a, th- a third party, which is a capital market, to to provide us with uh, with a capital, and they get paid off with uh, with a sort of rate of return that's consistent with what capital markets expect, which isn't very necessarily onerous, uh, let's say, because of the capital. Excess capital is so abundant, and it's actually not looking for a big rate of return these days. I mean, you know, two percent might be generous, and so if that's the case, why not dip into the capital markets, of which there are trillions and trillions of dollars, and say, put those the, that money to work uh, by by uh, essentially owning that fleet out there that we're going to use to share, which makes it which solves the problem of you know being asset light, which is what operating companies want to be they don't want to be tying up their capital in in um in equipment they want to tie it up in you know in in developing software and developing the service and figuring out optimizations right and in in putting customers together with the product that that's what they do they don't want to necessarily be the product owners but they're you know in the case of of micromobility they're sort of forced to i mean it, it it's it's there, no one else is buying these things you can't yeah, you, you you know you're at such an early stage that the only model that makes sense is that you 
uh, you step up and you buy these things with venture capital. And here's the, 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 the irony is that venture capital is now going into the asset-heavy business of owning pieces of equipment that are, that are essentially used to move people around. Uh, and, 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 you know, if you would have asked the VC two, three years ago, would you want to own a fleet of vehicles that are used for transportation there? You know, would you want to own buses, which is, you know, an absurd version of that. But, but that's what they are doing, essentially, is they, they, are, owning, uh, they are owning vehicles that are used in a shared manner uh, by a fleet operator to deliver yeah. miles. Uh, that's what buses are. That's what trains are. So in, in many ways, why is that? And of course, at some point, they're going to ask themselves, hang on, are we really tying up billions of dollars, which indeed they are, whether it's bikes or scooters, they're tying up billions of dollars on the depreciating asset and, uh, you know, with high turnover and poor engineering, uh, which, which frankly they are because they're so new. And so we have this situation which doesn't make sense now because we're rushing into a new uh, a new opportunity, and so my 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 note about servitization moving into, uh, and this was again a year ago. I thought about it. And securitization is like okay, we need to have the financial instruments, which may be off the shelf or may be new. We'll figure out new ways of yeah, absolutely paying for the asset, uh, or rather buying the asset, and then having that asset pay back, pay you back, and. Um, my my assumption here, uh, the infrastructure costs, therefore, and, and right now we're thinking about vehicles, but maybe that it will extend, because when the rail was new, you had to also figure out how to own not just the locomotive and the, and the coaches, you had to learn, figure out how to own the track, and you had to own the land that the track sits on, and you had to own the stations. And you have a, so a subway is more than the trains, obviously, right? So uh, it, it, it it's... It's all of this infrastructure that comes along with transport that it has to be figured. We figure out like right now we we split the cost. You know, the, the, maybe the, the the driver owns the car, but the city owns the street. But the the city gets paid by the car driver in form of taxes to maintain that street. Sure, it's 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 a bit off. Uh, you know, it's 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 what it is. Uh, but if you move forward and you just think it through, um, the the if you securitize. It means that you, you, you might tap into capital markets, um, have a third party yet again uh, stepping in and saying, okay, I'm just a fleet, uh, you know, leaseholder. And, and you know, I, I, I may, you know, uh, I'll work out a way to make this fleet uh, deliver returns at, at what I see is reasonable. And so, you know, you can see how... Cars are managed as an asset by rental car companies. You know, the, what's the relationship between a rental car company and, let's say, a manufacturer of cars? Uh, what about also the financing of that fleet? How is that? How where's the money coming from? And you can see that they, they've sort of, over time, figured out ways of uh, of dealing with it. How did they dispose of or sell off a, a slightly used asset? Uh, people have gotten really clever. I've heard, of, I've heard of very interesting systems, even in Brazil, for example, that that uh, you know companies are are offering uh, cars to uh, car sharing operators or individuals who who operate right. them for a few months, then yep. uh, then they become slightly used, and then they're sold uh, so, sold into the used market as a very very sort of newish car, slightly used. And the pricing is is very competitive, and the 
company that bought the asset and is now selling the asset is actually selling it at the same price that they bought it at because it's actually a discounted rate that they got from the manufacturer because they're buying in such high volumes. So there's a lot of games you can play in terms of the, the you know, how to deal with this asset. And that's, that's a particular thing in cars, but in, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that evolves in the, uh, you know, you know, how people's calculations are, are done on, on an asset like a scooter or an e-bike, which might, might make sense to resell back, or, you know, do you, do you, do you recycle it, do you re- resell it, do you figure out ways of, of repurposing it to new markets, do you move it around during the winter, who knows, I mean, people will just step in and see opportunities and, and figure this out, and, and, and won't be necessarily the market maker, which is the person who's really focused on the customer experience as far as, you know, getting on this vehicle at the right place in the right time. There's the, the separation, the modularization of the problem is what I'm talking about here in securitization, is to take the, the entire transportation as a service and breaking it down in subparts that, that can be uh, uh, optimized indep- independently sure. because the, the, uh, the, the, you know, we've evolved to a point where, uh, where you know, the, this can be outsourced. Right, so the, the the service provider doesn't have to worry about this. It would rather not worry about this, and and moves it to someone who actually finds it an interesting problem and wants to do it. So that's that's stage three. We got the product, service, to security, and and it's and that that's interesting, right? And you'd say, well, what more can you do? Turns out, a lot more. And this is because, and this is where it gets even more freaky, is that these things need to work together. So one asset, which is, let's say, uh, a scooter, needs to work with a bike or a, or, or a sit-down scooter uh, that then needs to also integrate with a car, car sharing and that's, then needs to integrate with a, with a transit system, okay? So, so even as a service model... Right? This is we're talking about transportation as a service that has been securitized because the assets are now separate from the uh, from the operating uh, company. Then, then still these need to be inter interwoven into a mesh that actually interoperates. And, and the, the modular nature, the increasing modularity, which will happen, would mean that you'll have multimodal trips and you'll have multimodal micromobility and multimodal macromobility. Uh, we have macromobility in the form of transit today, plus cars, plus car sharing. Uh, uh, we have we have the ability to to hop between uh, and transfer between modes uh, during the journey uh, during our our day. When when, you, when I travel, and I just talked about the fact that I was traveling so much. I hopped around so many different modes. I've been I was on buses, I was on trains, I was on airplanes. I was, was I even in a car? I think very, very little on this week. But uh, yes, I was in a car. Yes, it was a privately owned car. So, uh, so I, 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 you know, every day I would have to calculate how I might get to my next destination. And I prefer to take uh, uh, transit. I did so in Europe, uh, you know, ex- extensively. Uh, and then I did so even in New York where I took subways and I even went to the airport on a subway, which is, a bit of a, a, a bit of a stretch to JFK, but I did it anyway because I had plenty of time. So, um, 
And so that, that, that's, that's certainly uh, something you think about, you know, hopping between things. And yeah, it takes a little bit more effort and thinking and maybe, maybe planning, but you know what helps is an app. Having an app like a transit app really makes it easy for you to figure out how to go, and especially in a city you're not familiar with. Uh, and it changed my life in New York because uh, I, used to, I used to just have to read the, the subway map and try to figure out what the, what the way to get there. And there were multiple options. And you ne- never mm. knew if the one you chose was optimal because, you know, you might be taking uh, local when you should have taken an express. Uh, you might have taken, you know, the, the, there are multiple parallel lines and you don't know which one's the best. So, uh, so the idea then is that with software, with the aid of software, you, you have multimodality. Now, what does that lead to? in terms of business models. What does that lead to in terms of product, which is where we were we started the conversation? Well, here's the thing. When, you, when, you, when you're getting a passenger and moving them through modes, you have to have a way of signaling between, uh, between providers. First of all, look, I'm trying to match demand, and I'm trying to supply something, a transport, a service. And, and I need to negotiate... Uh, with with an aggregator perhaps who who is is providing the customer with an interface so let me put it in a more uh, explicit way you have an app and you say i want to go a to b let's say it's google maps and i you know or apple maps or whatever but you, you have a, a mapping thing you say i'm here's my destination i want to go to this restaurant for dinner um and and uh, these you know Right now, you have an option at the bottom. Do you want to walk? Do you want to take transit? Do you want to take car, car, drive? Do you want to use car hire? And you have to you, you have to decide. But what if instead of having to tap on a different icon of these modes, what if you just say, no, I don't care. I want to be there. My concern is price, or my concern is time, or my concern is minimal uh, uh, minimal discomfort uh, in terms of not having to change modes. So, like, I want the, the you know, w- w- when you ask what your journey optimization is, you know, various people, or I have with me three people, or I have with me a lot of luggage. All of these considerations can be added yeah. into the, the software. But you say, I want to go A to B, and here are the things I'm looking for. Ideally, of course, the intel- it's an intelligence system, and it knows that you have three people with you and you have a lot of luggage. But, you know, whatever. So, so the the point is that it, it'll tell you, okay, here's your, here's the best way to do that. You take this route. Um, we'll 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 take you through two different modes, or maybe three modes. But he, my point is this: that that um, behind the scenes, that's the front end. The behind the scenes are that these companies have these assets again that they've that they've securitized. And they're asking, you know, they want to get optimization going. So they want to get the revenue. They want to minimize their cost. Um, and so they start bidding on the journey. And so how do you bid on a journey? Is you say, well, I'm available. I'm, uh, you know, so you tell Google, uh, I, I'm, I'm here in this region. I'm, I have this following asset. I would like to uh, make it available to your customer. And, uh, and this is what I can provide. Now, so so you, you need to negotiate in a in a multi yeah. uh, uh, a multi sided negotiation, so so you may have uh, several providers of services, including the transit system. You know, so buses are out there negotiating, and and cars are out there negotiating as car share. You have scooters negotiating. Everybody's negotiating to take that customer on that journey, and of course that journey, that customer has his own or her own optimization requirements. 
And so all this negotiation is very complicated. Um, and it, it, the, 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 the notion I'm, I'm sort of putting forward, and I did put forward a year ago, was that it needs to be tokenized, meaning that we need to reduce the, the, uh, the offering and the request uh, to, to subparts that can be traded. And, and I don't know enough about the potential for crypto here to play a part, but it seems to me that it might fit, you know, that this is not a database problem. A database problem means that things are pretty well defined and fixed, and, um, and, and, and you know, you plug in with an API or whatnot. But in the case of, of a dynamic negotiation of this nature, where, um, uh, you know, and, and also one where, where perhaps players are, are not uh, coming in through an API that is rigid, and so there's there's a lot of dynamism in the way, sort of the entry and exit of the of the of the party in the negotiation. It might make sense to do this in a with with a, with a crypto or or a token. What I would say is a sort of a a, a token that doesn't uh, you, that's more more dynamic. And so I think this is where a year ago, just thinking about tokenization as a way to enable multimodal uh, uh, negotiated uh, transit. And you know, I talked to this to Anders Brownworth years ago when, 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 when he was explaining sure. to me that the, uh, the one of the things that one of the dem- one of the examples they give about how crypto can help uh, an economy is is in in package uh, transport in uh, uh, in freight. How uh, a lot of the ways. What I just described is how how to negotiate for the the, the service of a person. Um, it, it happens in packages all the time, right? When you when you send a package across the world, uh, do you do you care if it goes on a on a container or whether it goes in a mailbag? Do you care if it goes via truck or do you care if it goes via train? Uh, it, it many times you know. You don't explicitly have any requirements. You just, as soon as you drop it off, it's out of your hands, and it can be rerouted multiple ways. You don't know wh- where, how it goes there, what modes, how many switches in the modes it happens to uh, uh, undertake. Sometimes you pay extra just to get it there on time, so that's overnight or or two day or three day uh, delivery. And then you know, sort of the logistics business. This is what Amazon has also sort of taken under its wing and has become essentially the major uh, innovator on is logistics of uh, transporting goods from, from many sources to many destinations. And this is, the, this is the, the crux of it is that it's still based on database technology and Anders yeah. was simply saying that if you tokenize it, it actually gets even better. It, it, you, you can have more people ask, providing the service and sort of stepping in and saying, trust me, I can deliver this package as well. And I'm going to, you know, I'll be a bicycle messenger. And the bicycle messenger is not part of the Amazon network and is not part of the FedEx network. But somehow they could participate in bidding for that, for that package delivery. And how could they do it if, if, if there wasn't a trusted network that they could participate with without having to have their, you know, someone vouching for them? And that's, that's at the core of tokenization as the idea is that when you get to multimodal, when you get to um, uh, integrating not just m- uh, m- multiple modes of macro but multiple modes of micro, and, and so you start to think about uh, the, the market making, you start to think about optimization, you start to think about uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, the user experience. 
and, and you start to say, hold on, you know, th- this really needs a federation model. So some 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 way of dealing with it without having um, uh, 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 negotiated contracts between all the participants, which are very rigid and, and one-dimensional, right? So this is why I, I see transportation moving, both, you know, goods and people transportation moving towards a more a much more fluid model. And to me, maybe maybe this is a pipe dream, but it's it's a few years out. It requires a lot of infrastructure, but it's it does it sound plausible to you? Have a little bit of understanding about the stuff, and, and uh, the the idea you're actually describing was was originally put forward by a guy called Mike Hearn in 2013 in a talk. Um, and it was called, he, he called the concept TradeNet. And TradeNet was effectively like a an open bidding system. So rather than saying, I as a consumer want to go out and access these things. And so I, as Google or whatever, I would, you know, I would go and search on Google for, I'm going from here to here, tell me the best way to do it. It would literally, there would be a way for you to be able to simply put into the TradeNet, hey, I want to go from point A to point B. And that there would be autonomous actors who would say, Yep, I will bid. I know what you're interested in, and I'll string together a whole rate. I will, I will go out and I'll look at all the different opportunities and, and services, etc., um, to be able to operate, uh, to, to be able to pull together the right services to pull them up and sort of put them together. It's almost like a travel agent. I want to put together all of these different pieces together and and give them to you in one go. And it would be an autonomous agent that would do that, and they would be rewarded in some way for being able to pull all those things together. I think the interesting thing, and the reason crypto is interesting in this area, is because you're you're stringing together a lot of um, groups that wouldn't necessarily trust each other, right? So if you're, as you're saying, you're coming out of the servitization model, you don't really care. You just want your service to be fully utilized as much as possible. Um, And you don't trust anybody else in the network, but you're willing to be paid for the utilization that you provide in that thing, but you're not going to be, you, you, there also needs to be somebody who's overarching across that, that provides the utilization, which then provides the service to the consumer. All of which is very abstract to say that you don't have to, th- like as a consumer, you don't have to think about it. But what ends up happening is that the entire marketplace of potential providers are able to plug into effectively an open an open marketplace um, yep. that combines all the supply of all the different options together and then finds you the kind of like the optimal route through all of that. And that goes right down, not just to the vehicle, um, but in TradeNet, they were talking about, hey, I want to be able to bid on road space. So, for example, you want to go into road on the, you know, on the main highway. Um, well, the main highway happens to be very congested. That happens to be more expensive to travel on. But you could travel on yep. a back road that's less expensive uh, because there's not that many people on it. And so what you'd end up with is this TradeNet being able to effectively packet route or, you know, rattle the packets on the road a lot more effectively using market-based forces. And I think the, the kind of the concept that you're talking about in terms of tokenization is stringing. It's, it's got a lot of different pieces pulling together um, to effectively have like the most, it, it's like a, a market-based solution for packet routing, but in the physical universe. So, it, it, you know, it, it's exactly right. And that uh, the, the, uh, the idea is the creation of a much more complex map of of our market between uh between what is being asked for and what is being delivered and so and i think you you know this idea of also bringing the infrastructure into the story and sort of uh saying that 
we take into account traffic, we take into account uh, the cost of the infrastructure, and, and having all of this be, be uh, uh, part of the marketplace. Um, a lot of the things we have today are abstractions because we can't deal with complexity at the lower level. So uh, we, we package things, we bundle things, we bundle the car as trips, we bundle the road as a tax, um, in particular, uh, you know, a tax maybe on fuel or a tax maybe on the vehicle ownership and so on. And so things are, are bundled all the time. You, you don't realize how bundled things are, that uh, how transportation is bundled, not just in the vehicle, but it's in, in the infrastructure itself is a bundle. And so the unbundling um, of the car into micro is 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 going to you know is going to propagate as an idea to to much more than that, and that's that's really that's all this is about is this this idea, and I think this show that we're talking today uh, about is uh, is that. If you step out, you realize micro-mobility is not just about the vehicle, although we, we, we synthesize it in a sort of arguing that the vehicle being 500 kilograms is a proxy. And then, you know, if you see that, you know it's happening. But there's much more to it in terms of really converting transportation into, um, I- into a market and not a, a, a product and not a... Uh, a tax and not a bundle or not a package and it 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 really is quite a powerful idea that uh, that has merit in the same way that data packetization did in transforming networking from uh, sort of uh, circuits uh, to services and and you know you realize the internet mm. uh, is today a set of services but it wasn't always the, the case, and certainly the, in, the networking of the 70s, 80s was really about um, about physical infrastructure and uh, you know providers creating their own parallel universes. Um, that's where we are with transportation today, in many ways. Right. And, and you know, I, I, it's not about transit. You know, I think the this is why it's so so peculiar is that. Um, I, I saw this this uh, tweet the other day. While I was in New York, it, it actually rained for the first time this year. Oh, sorry, not rained, snowed. Um, we had a sort of a, a, a very sudden snowstorm, mm-hmm. and uh, traffic just completely shut down. And somebody posted a picture. Somebody posted a picture of someone's uh, Uber screen. Maybe it was their own Uber screen. I don't know. Um, and it showed a uh, fare, the the cost of a trip from. Midtown, somewhere to it looked like a northern part of Queens. Uh, so it was just across the river. Uh, total distance was about uh, six miles, and the the cost of the trip was nine hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it was you know it was a screen, it was a picture of a screen, and, and they said that the the trip took five and a half hours, and that uh, the, the the actual the actual drive itself was $125 or something like that. Um, but there was a, a, a surcharge because of the time of day, because of the traffic conditions, whatnot, of $750. And, and it was just, it was, you know, shocking because the, the, the good thing about the screen grab was that you could see the distance as well. You could see the time and the distance. And, of course, anyone doing the yes. math would say, 
Well, you know, if you had walked the distance, yeah, it's a pretty long walk, but you could have gotten there faster walking, um, number one. Number two, uh, you could have taken the train, and the underground was working fine. Um, maybe it was crowded, but you could have taken the train, and we were getting there in a tenth of the time, even if there were delays, even if you couldn't catch the first train. Certainly there, were, there was that option. Um, and it would have cost you $3. And so th- that's what, 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 I'm, what I'm, you know, it's an extreme case, uh, paying $950 for a cab ride. Oh, completely. Well, there's a, there's a really interesting thing in there, right? Which is, so, so, so you know, a company like Uber is talking today, and, and, and obviously, full disclosure, used to work for them for three years until April. But, uh, you know, they talk today about wanting to become the Amazon of transportation. They want to become the sort of the place that you go to whenever you want to take a ride. And so, in theory, a really, you know, Uber into the future will be a place where you aggregate all of that information, as you say. Well, it'll give you the option to walk. It'll give you the option to go and take, you know, hey, yep. We can also go down and put you onto a train, and we think that that would be the best way for you to get there if you want to go. Um, and that it would be, you know, a place that all of that information is aggregated. The the thing that I think is really interesting is going to be how is if we are talking about a trade net emerging, a sort of a decentralized version of this that isn't tr- sort of driven by anybody. Um, how does that compete against something like Uber? So obviously, um, whether, whether or not we'll see a trade net example, uh, op, you know, open up and, and we'll have this, you know, everybody has to bid to be able to participate and take the demand that, that Uber generates um, for these trips from point A to point B. Will that all kind of come onto one platform or will be, there be the emergence of this fully tokenized open source um, sort of crypto I want to say utopia version of this. How does it happen, right? You know, that's the thing. I, yeah. Social systems are, can be complex and they settle into suboptimal configurations because it's not economical for them to get out of that suboptimal uh, uh, position. Um, but what's interesting about technology is it suddenly shakes things up and redefines the cost of getting out of a suboptimal position. And so that, that what's happening with transportation, uh, with, 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 with micromobility, is the technology of lithium-ion batteries plus smartphones um, is, is shaking up the, the, uh, the suboptimal position of the automobile, allowing us to climb out of that. And, and what, what we have to ask is how far can, can uh, other technologies also conspire with with the ones that that are shaking things up so um, it, we, we we have we have to consider the potential for a crypto type asset um, or or what I you know I, I I don't have a good word we still don't have a good word crypto just doesn't fit to me because it, it's crypto is 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 very underlying technology but the yeah. idea of to- tokens I like better and these are the idea of a token uh, allows the the uh, the climb out to go even further because we, it's not just about the number of, of watts or joules that are necessary to move a person, which I like to focus on, but also how do we make the the entire problem of of transport be uh, solved in a collaborative fashion? I've always maintained that 
What we're seeing now is, and you say Uber wants to be sort of the, the mobility as a service provider, but mobility as a service uh, is going to be a collaborative thing. Uh, fundamentally, it's going to be modular, and it's going to be something that many providers are going to work together. Now, we could end up in a, another situation where we have a monopoly, uh, where there's one provider for, for all these modes, which I somehow doubt is going to emerge, given the complexities of global infrastructures. Uh, you know, I'd like to point out that globally, there are very few service global services. Uh, the services and, you know, as far as even as retail or distrib- even the distribution of commodities, uh, which seems like both distribution, it seems like a commodity itself, and the things you distribute are commodities. So I'll give one example. The sale of gasoline. Uh, selling gasoline is not a matter of requiring a lot of innovation, and gasoline itself is pretty much a, a fungible, tradable asset that is, you know, has a long shelf life so you can move anywhere. And yet, yeah. there's no global gas station network, right? G- selling gasoline is a local business. Uh, you might have a chain, but it's like if I go, if you were to name, if I were to ask you what is the predominant gasoline retailer in France, I don't know. Is it Esso? I, I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, completely. Total, it's very maybe. physical. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's why, because, well, you know, yes, you have oil companies that get involved with these, the, the, you know, the distribution into the, it's really complicated. It's politicized. It's, when you're dealing with real estate, it's very, very tricky, uh, regulated and so on. Um, and, and so when you start to think about transportation, which is, again, has deep roots into the local economy, it it it, it in, in, and deeply regulated. Um, it's hard to imagine a model. Even Amazon. I mean, you know, Amazon is angling to become a global, the global retailer. The way maybe Google is the the global search engine. But think about the the you know, um, Amazon exists truly uh, in only a handful of countries that have you know, and even there it has a very tiny market share compared to the whole retail sector. And yet they're growing, and I don't take anything from them but the thing is that the marketplace for retail is, is just it's just so vast um, and so multifaceted that it's hard to imagine there being one um, and transportation is even bigger and more complex oh, now completely and you can see and you can see that as well in terms of how I mean especially in the ride sharing market the way that uber you know effectively uber conceded certain markets Russia China uh, Southeast Asia and so you won't see for example that sort of the monolithic um, uh, sort of one service provider that's going to be the yep. one that sort of rules them all. Even, so, even <laughs> Mass Global, uh, Mass Global is a company here in Finland that that's uh, founded by a person who was, I believe, in the transit world, and I, I, I had a chance to meet him. And uh, the, uh, uh, the, the they they do exactly that is they find ways of packaging transit plus taxi plus sharing, in particular uh, bike sharing now. Uh, into a, a, a subscription service, and you sort of pay a monthly rate, and you can actually do that here in Finland. But the the point is that uh, yes, it's 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 a much more modular system today, which has it has uh, bundled itself in a suboptimal way, and now we're asking, can that uh, suboptimality be uh, be broken? Um, or, 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 or can we climb out of it then with, uh, with, with new technologies? And I think micro is one aspect. Uh, 
but I'd, I guess the point of this whole uh, conversation has been that you need to also look at other things that are coming from left field, and, and one of them is tokens. And, uh, yep. and, and so that, that, that will change dramatically, I believe, uh, how, how the whole system works. So, so number one point, don't think of micro as an exclusive thing. It's going to work together with many other things. And certainly we're going to work with ma- macro, and it's going to work with transit. These are converging in many ways that uh, we'll, we'll have... We'll have it's using in the phone analogy. You look at your iPhone and your Mac and your uh, and your Apple Watch and your tablet and your HomePod. You know these all seem like separate universes, but they're actually working somewhat together. And, and you know, take your alternate universe of Android, and you're going to have some other forms of uh, collaboration between the various modes that are in that that domain. But you you, you see how the uh, in the transportation domain these are islands and uh, it's sort of the users are frustrated by having to swap between them and so it's possible to see how this will all be uh, uh, evolving rapidly and that that's the key is like micro is is it is causing a, a reassessment of the speed of change how quickly can this change and uh, and I think that the beauty of micro is that it actually, because of the vastness uh, uh, of it, the, the, the speed of it, and and it just it just electrifies everything. It, it electrifies the the, and I mean that metaphorically, um, no pun intended. Uh, but it it, it 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 causes governments to sit up and notice. It causes uh, uh, researchers, like we've talked to a cherry the other day to sort of like you know we've got to we've got to move into into understanding this you know transportation researchers um and and we have potentially now um uh car guys coming involved you know or gals you know we have we have the uh, uh you know people who are in autonomy looking at this we have people who are looking at you know sensing looking at this you know LIDAR and all these other companies that have, or, 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 or technologies that have been looked at are sort of, wow, we can really make it go at a different rate of speed now. So anyway. No, no, no worries at all. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, we shall wrap this up now. But thank you very much, Horace, as always. And uh, we'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.